The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. All right, well, here we are at Christmas. If you've been with us, you know the last few weeks we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, uh, looking at the story surrounding Jesus' birth. And if last week we did the most famous Christmas passage in the world, you know, shepherds and angels and all that. Today we get to do maybe the most obscure or forgotten Christmas passage in the world. It's uh, when, when Mary and Joseph take baby Jesus to the temple as any faithful Jewish couple would to dedicate him to the Lord. You get these two kind of, we don't know anything about these people. They come up and they're just overwhelmed with who this baby is. And it's this surprising, shocking thing that these strangers would do that. But how many of you have never even heard of this? Or, uh, or you forgot about it. You know, we don't have any simians in our front yard, um, you know, next to Santa. But I'm excited about going through this with you because it has something we desperately need in it. And you could kind of call it the, um, the other side of Christmas. Or if you want, you could call it Christmas reality. So here's what I mean. Uh, we're in America, right? And what are we filled with right now as Americans? Christmas spirit. Right? Is anybody full of Christmas spirit? So you went and you saw the lights and you're with your family and your friends and you're wearing more red than you've ever worn the rest of the year and you're happy, right? And in the movies, people are falling in love and on TV, some people evidently woke up this morning to find a brand new BMW on their driveway. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Now I just got to ask, did that happen to any of you today? Does, does that ever happen? I don't think, anyway, the, the point is, how are we supposed to feel? You're, you're an American, it's Christmas. Be happy, right? You're supposed to be happy. It's Christmas spirit. Okay, Christmas reality. Some of us aren't happy. Some of us are grieving. Some of us are lonely. Some of us got bad news this week that made the good news of great joy seem far away. And when you combine our hurt, our sorrow, our loneliness, our lostness, our pain, our anger with Christmas spirit, it even makes it worse, doesn't it? I mean, like, come on, does it have to happen now? It's Christmas. It's supposed to be easier. We're supposed to be happy. Can anybody relate to that? I know a lot of you can. Uh, and this morning is for you. And if you can't relate to it, this morning is especially for you. <laughs> but if you think about it, it kind of fits with our passage today. Uh, for Mary and Joseph, things are looking up. They've had some rough times, right? Had to, had to put baby Jesus in a feeding trough. But they made it. And just like the angel said, it was a boy. And they go to the temple to dedicate him. Um, just young couple, poor people, they go to the temple. How many of you ever been to a baby baptism, baby dedication? Okay, We go to these. And, and imagine you're, in the, you're, you're nobody in the temple. Nobody. You're lost. This thing's huge. There's thousands of people. And dude walks up, grabs your baby, and first Joseph's like, hold up, yo, right? <laughs> grabs your baby and says, I've been waiting all my life to see this kid and I can die happy. And the quote he actually gives is, this child will be glory for God's people. And to unpack biblical words, man, glory, beauty, weight, worth, salvation, wholeness, happiness, is going to be glory for God's people. 
So if you're Mary and Joseph, or if you're just a human, what do you think's going to come? It's going to get better. It's going to get easier. God loves us. He came to save us. He came to redeem us. It's all true, right? He's, it's going to get better. Glory for your people, Israel. And then old Simeon's like, and let me, uh, let me straighten you out a little bit. His words cut like a knife. He actually says to Mary, a sword will pierce, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. A sword. Merry, Merry Christmas. Here's a sword in your soul. Um, you open your present and it cuts into your guts. Baby Jesus, the Christmas present that makes you bleed. So what is going on here? Well, we get to find out today. We're going to work through this in three parts. Uh, part one for Luke, trustworthy witnesses as to who the baby is. That's a lot of what he's doing here. Trustworthy witnesses telling you, telling everybody who this baby is. Part two, the sword the baby brings. Isn't it interesting? The sword the baby brings. And part three, what's the point of the sword? See what I did there? Point. Point of the sword. The, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's making you bleed, isn't it? Um, the purpose of the sword. Why? What's he doing? So who the, who the baby is, the sword the baby brings, the purpose of the sword. So here we go. If you're reading Luke, you know that he has a passion for history. Uh, if you remember in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4 in his introduction, he's writing this to a friend and, and he's basically telling him, look, I've done all the fact-checking, all the cross-referencing I can possibly do so that you may be convinced. And if you remember verse 3, Luke 1, verse 3, Luke writes, It seemed good to me also having followed all these things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. It reminds us, and, and great historians from all history have, have said, look, if you want ancient history that's legit, that's true, that's honest, you, you can't do better than Luke in the Gospel of Luke. He's a master historian. And so a big part of what Luke is always trying to do is he's bringing together other witnesses to say, see, you can trust this. See, look, it's, an, it's another piece of evidence. See, you can believe this. And in this passage in the temple, that's part of what he's doing. There's three Faithful witnesses he wants to bring up to you. So we'll just walk through this quickly, but we want to get a feel of what Luke's talking about. And, and with each witness, there's going to be two things about him. Number one, Luke's trying to tell you, hey, the witnesses are trustworthy. Number two, he's going to tell you, and this is what they said about this baby. Trustworthy witnesses, this is what they said. So the first witness, I'm putting the two of them together, Mary and Joseph. You may have heard of these two. Do you remember that they're probably teenagers? Can you believe that? They're probably teenagers. I, I had to imagine what the guidance counselor might have said to them in the high school office. 17 and 15, having a baby. What would they have said? And God is like, yo, raise my son. It's just, if you take any of this seriously, the Christmas story is not this cuteness thing. It's it's crazy. It doesn't make sense. Poor teenagers given one of the craziest callings in history. And the, and the Gospels are clear about Mary and Joseph that they're righteous people. And what the Bible means by that is God loves them a lot. 
And God's love for them has changed their lives. And they love him and they want to live for him. That's what it means to be righteous. And so we know from the Gospel of Matthew, Joseph is a righteous man. He's compassionate to Mary. He's obedient to God. And we know from Luke, when, when Gabriel says, hey Mary, this is how it's going to go. We're all amazed. We saw it a couple of weeks ago. Mary says, I'm God's servant. Let's, whatever you have for me, let's do it. Let's do it. They're, they're righteous people. They love God. And I'm not going to go into all the details of the temple passage here, but I can tell you that in 21, 22, 23, 24, 27, 39, Luke's telling you they obeyed the law. They fulfilled the law. They did what the law said. They obeyed the law. The law is God's word for how his people should live at that time. And what did Mary and Joseph do with God's law? They obeyed it to the T. Why? They love him. Just remind you, Christianity was never like, hey, here's a list of rules, you have to follow it. Um, that's not the way my marriage works. Here's a list of rules. Follow it, you can be my husband. Follow it, you can be my wife. No, we love each other. My wife and I, praise God, we love each other. And doesn't that make me want to change how I live a little bit? Doesn't that new freedom of love make me volunteer for some restrictions I wouldn't have had otherwise? Doesn't it give me new opportunities and new joys? That's what this is. They love God and they want to follow him. They see his ways as good and beautiful. They love him. They're righteous. Could you trust them? What do they have to say about Jesus? They really only say one thing in this passage. Uh, it's in verse 21. What did they name him? Jesus. You knew that. Who told them to name him Jesus? The angel told him the name of Jesus. The angel said he's going to be the son of God. He's going to be the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the promised king the Bible's talking about. He's everything. He's savior. He's redemption. He's it. Name him Jesus. They go to the temple. What's his name? Jesus. They're saying we believe it. We believe what the angel said. We're in. Let's go. Faithful witness. You can trust Mary and Joseph. They're not perfect, but they're righteous. And what are they saying about this baby? He's the son of God. Believe it. Second faithful witness, you got this man named Simeon. Verse 25, verse 26. He's righteous and devout. He's righteous and devout. He loves God. He's serious about following the Lord. He wants to follow him. And he had this amazing thing happen in his life. Look what happened to Simeon. Verse 26. It's revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He wouldn't see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. That promised Messiah. I don't know how Simeon came up with that, but maybe one day he's praying. It's obvious he's praying all the time. He just, he knows it. He hears it. Uh, some of you, you've had God speak to you like that sometimes. You just, he did. I have too a couple times. He, he did. And it, it changes everything. And Simeon gets, he, I'm going to see the Christ. I'm going to see him. Then verse 27, one day he comes into the temple. And again, you, you, you have to think of it. A large, large building with lots and lots of people. And Mary and Joseph, I know you and I are used to this, but they probably did not have glowing halos above their heads. So it's not like Simeon walked in and went like, well, there's a glowing child. Yeah. And he's never crying, right? The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. That's what, no, that's, that's not true. That's a song. That's not true. How did he find him? I don't know. He found him, but he came up to Mary and Joseph. Look what he says. So we've seen Simeon's trustworthy. He's righteous and devout. What, what's his message? 29 to 32. Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your what? Salvation. Who's it for? Gentiles and Israel. It's for the world. This is the Savior of the world. That's what Simeon's saying. So what's he saying to you 2,000 years later? This one right here. You can trust Simeon. He's, he's legit. 
And he's telling you, this is the Savior of the world. That must have been so amazing for little Mary and Joseph. And so vindicating in a way. Everything's been shepherds at night and angel dreams. And all of a sudden they're in the temple and real people are coming up to him and saying, your kid, Savior of the world. Wow. One more witness. Anna, I like her, 36 to 37. You should plug in here because it says some amazing things about her. First of all, verse 36, she's a prophetess, speaks for God. She's advanced in years, so that's another thing a lot of us can relate with. <laughs> she's old. She's had a hard life. What happened? She was married seven years. Then what happened? Husband died. She's, she's not floating on on easy times. Her husband died. Probably no kids. What'd she do with her life after hard times? She didn't run from God. She ran to him. And she's devoted her whole life to serving God and serving his people. She's fasting. She's praying. Worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. What a lady. 60 years loving and serving the Lord. And she's a faithful witness. What does she say? Verse 38. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. Speak of, him, speak of him, that's the baby Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She's telling everybody, this is the baby who brings us back. Now just pause right here, okay? Two urban legends I want to light on fire. One is, what do you got to do when you're a young adult or a teenager? Or a college student, what do you got to do? Well, you got to go taste test rebellion, right? That's how we roll. That's what you got to do. It's normal. And you look at you look at these two, Mary and Joseph, teenagers, te teenagers. What do, how do they feel about God? They love Him. They love Him. They're sold out to Him. Guess what? If you're if you're on the younger side. You can know and love and serve and be used by God in massive ways right now. You don't need to wait. You don't need to wait. And all the offers worldly stuff has given you, go ahead and make up your mind now. It's not worth it. Jesus is better. Follow him. Now on the other side, another urban legend to blow up, you know. You retire from your career, let's retire from Christianity too. You don't say it that way, but you're like, well, I've done my part. I can, I'm, I'm finished now. And you got this... This old lady, Anna, take the temperature on her zeal for God right now. It's hot, right? She's, she's serving him. She's praying. It's just this great reminder. What, old, young, who does God love? Yeah. Old, young, who does he want to use? Yeah. Jump in. Anyway, trustworthy witnesses. Do you hear what they're all saying? Savior of the world right here, the Lord Jesus. Now let's get to the sword. Verse 34, Simeon blessed him, said to his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Wow. Simeon, you're killing my Christmas spirit. A sword. I think there's three ways in here Jesus brings a sword. A dividing sword, a painful sword, a churning sword. Dividing sword, painful sword, 
maturing sword. First, the dividing sword. What's, what's, what's this baby going to do to a bunch of people? Behold, this child is appointed for what? Do you see it? The fall of many. And what else? The rising of many. Jesus is pushing some people down. And he's lifting some people up. Why? How? I think it's pretty clear. The witnesses are telling you who he is. And who he is is what brings the sword. Who he is is what brings the sword. It gets touchy when somebody says to you, um, the only way for you really to live a good life, the life you're made for, is to totally surrender everything about yourself to me. I mean, how do you feel about that? Um, if somebody said to you, the only way to live the life you're designed to live, to thrive, to be who you're supposed to be, is to totally surrender your life to me. And if anybody on the street said that to me, I'd be like, I don't know, what would you say, right? Buzz off, go to a mental hospital, I don't know, get out of my way. You realize that's exactly what Jesus says to the world. He's telling the world, I'm king of everything. Always. Let me give you one example, just one. Look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So number one, who's Jesus? He's very comfortable with this. I'm Lord. That's who I am. I'm Lord. And then look what he says. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like his man building a house who dug, a, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. So if you trust him as Lord, you believe his words, you follow his words, your life is like a house with a foundation that can't be touched. It can't be shaken. You're established because you believed him, you obeyed him. Other side of the coin, verse 49. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is why Jesus is so controversial. He, he says, I, just, I didn't write this, he says, if you don't follow me, your ruin will be great. But he also says, but if you trust me, if you follow me, you'll be, you'll be planted on a rock. Do you see how that's kind of swordish? Do you see how it cuts? you see how it elbows people? Pushes some people down, lifts other people up? There's, there's a sword that comes with the human heart in this. Because a lot of us, we want to be Switzerland. We want to be Switzerland. We like good chocolate. And we want neutrality towards Jesus. Okay? Look, most people I talk to, they're not like, I hate Jesus. He's horrid. I almost have never heard that. I've never heard it. But there's this third road we want where it's like, can we have Jesus as like a... A good advice giver? Can I just leave him as like a nice person? 
And, and then I can feel good about myself as being somewhat spiritual. And I can take some of what he offers, but if there's something I don't want, well, I don't need it. And, and when you actually look at the real Jesus and what he actually said, that can't exist anymore. Because you can't say he's a good person about somebody who claimed to be God, right? If he's good, he is good, I think he's good, and he claimed to be king of everything all the time, if he's good and he said, if you want your life to go well, in the end you need to believe me and follow me and obey me, then if he's good, then that's true and you have to have him as your Lord and as your king. If that's not true, if he's not good, then he's not a good teacher, right? C.S. Lewis made it famous. If he's not Lord... He's a liar or a lunatic. So there is no neutrality. There is Jesus' junk. Throw this away. This is stupid. This is terrible. Or bow your knee. He's king of everything. Do you see how that's a sword? He's a sword. And he divides. And the prideful who don't want him and don't, don't receive who he is and what he's done, they're falling. And the humble who break and say, Jesus, save me. I need you. I want to follow you. He's lifting them up. He's a sword. Jesus brings a sword among people. He also brings a painful sword. If you look at verse 35, think of Mary's experience. Simeon says to her, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. This I know no parent should have to witness the death of their child. Can I get an amen to that one? Amen. Please. Please, God. It's hard to imagine what Mary had to think and feel. I don't even want to imagine it. Not just that so many people hated her son whom she loved, but that she saw her son on a cross. This is just the ugliest moment you can comprehend she never could have imagined it here on this day in the temple. People praising her baby. A sword, a sword will pierce your heart. It's almost like Simeon's there to help her tone her expectations in a certain way. Because if she thinks, hey, he's king, this is going to be great. I need, to, I need to love you by toning your expectations in a certain way. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. How many of you Christians, you need help with your expectations too? Okay? Your life doesn't usually go the, exactly the way you drew it up. I should get another amen there. Amen. Yeah, right? Mine neither. And when hard times or pains come, and there's a million ways they come, a million ways, but when they come, our hearts want to say, because my life is going hard right now, God must not be close to me or must not be with me or he must not love me. I think everyone in this room has felt that. Some of you are probably feeling it now. If, if it's not easy, if, it's, if I'm not feeling good, if my circumstances aren't working right, he must not love me. If he loved me, I would have this, I would have that. Anybody have that just on your heart? You came with that naturally? <laughs> Where did we get that? Look at Matthew 7.13. Now, if, if you're like me, you need a can opener to go around your head and pop open the top and just stuff this in because it won't go in. Or we need the sword 
to cut us open and stuff us in because it won't go in. Now look at this. Jesus said, Matthew 7, 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to what? Destruction. Destruction. And those who enter it by many. Those who enter, it by, enter by it are many. Verse 14, For the gate is narrow and the way is what? Hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Wait, what? If God loves me, it'll go easy, right? Yeah, 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 right? If God loves you and he's with you, it'll go easy. And when life is hard, that's when you know he doesn't love you. Right? That's what we think. That's what we feel. And we just, we just got to, wait, listen one more time. Where does the easy way go? Destruction. Destruction. Where does the hard way go? Life. Life. So if you're following Jesus, yeah, so what should be in your expectations? Hard. Hard. If you're going to life, the way will be Hard. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he's not there. We say this, we believe it. Do you believe that people with harder lives are loved less by God? I don't think anybody in this room would say that explicitly, but that's what you believe if you think God doesn't love you when your life is going hard. And if we took that view seriously, do you know what you're saying? You're the 1%. If that's, true for, if that's true for you, God only loves you when things are easier. If for things are hard, he doesn't love you. That means he doesn't love anyone in Haiti, not one person. He doesn't love anyone in India. You'd never say that. I know you'd never say that. Why do we, why do we believe it? The Lord is near. Do you remember that song? The Lord is near to who? The brokenhearted. The brokenhearted. Jesus uses the sword of suffering, doesn't he? He uses the sword. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean it. So the first thing we see, there's a sword among people just based on who he is. Second, there's a sword from circumstances. We should expect it. Third, there's a sword that tests our hearts. It stirs around. It tests our hearts. Verse 35, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Jesus is a sword that messes with how you think and how you feel. Um, I think any Christian following the Lord knows that. He's always messing with you. How you respond. I think of Mary's example. There's a story, it's in most of the synoptic gospels where Jesus is preaching this huge crowd and his family comes in Mark, 20, Mark 3, 21, his family heard of Jesus teaching and he's starting to argue with the Pharisees and they actually say of Jesus, he's out of his mind. Jesus went crazy. And so they kind of go to rescue him, bring him home. Jesus went crazy. That's what they're thinking. That's what his family thought. And then look at this. Look what happens, Mark 3, 32. It's in that same story. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. They've come to get you. Now, before we finish this little piece, put yourself in Mary's shoes, if you can, as much as you can. This is your son. You love him. 
Look what Jesus says in verse 33. He answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he's my brother and sister and mother. Now on one side of the coin, for you and I, that's incredibly uplifting. Because if you love and trust Jesus, what do you just call you? Your family. You're all the way in. That's so uplifting. I don't know if Mary would have heard it like that the first time. Hold up, Jesus. Who's the one that walked 70 miles to Bethlehem with you in their belly? You call that lady over there your mother? I'm your mother. Who, who went to Egypt with you to save you when Herod was trying to kill you? That's me. I'm your mother. Who lost your dad Joseph Young but doing this alone, hearing all the slander from the crowds? I'm your mother. These are your mother and sister and brothers? Man, get your Messiah rear and home. I'm going to teach you who your mom is. <laughs> you think it messed with her heart to have to learn to love him as a Lord and Savior over just a son? How about this one? This one blows my mind. What was it like for Mary when she realized, when it landed on her, that her precious son had to die for her sins? The moment that ripped her up the most was in some way her fault. Because she's a sinner too. You think that was a sword in her heart stirring around? Who do you love? Who do you trust? What's going on? God's doing this all the time. Hey, Christians, what are we all about? We're all about forgiveness, right? Any Christian here doesn't believe forgiveness? We need to talk right after this. Christmas is bi- or forgiveness is big for us, right? Everybody's pro-forgiveness until somebody hurts you. And he's messing with your heart. The sword in your heart. We got to stop gossiping, right? How many of you hate it when people gossip about you? Got to stop it until you have that juicy nugget and you really need to share it with somebody for prayer. Test your heart. Test your heart. How many of you, you believe we're all about trusting God, right? He's in charge of our lives. He's sovereign. He's good until something awful happens. I don't know if I can trust him. I don't know if I can trust him. You know, I, um, my son's got the Lego Millennium Falcon for Christmas, which is totally rad. And my oldest son spent like eight hours yesterday putting all 1,396 pieces together, or whatever it is. But as I'm thinking of this sermon, you know, at the beginning, we're working on the bottom of the Millennium Falcon, and we're like, this doesn't look like a Millennium Falcon. I have no idea how this is going to become a Millennium Falcon. I look at the box, and sure enough, it says Millennium Falcon. All right. Hey, we're finished. It's a darn... Good-looking Millennium Falcon. But there was a time where I knew where we were going. I didn't know how it was going to work. Can you plug that in with your suffering? Something happens, you say, I don't know how God is going to work this for good. I don't know how. And sometimes people even ask me, how's, how's this good? Part of me wants to be like, I don't know. It's the bottom of the Millennium Falcon. I, I don't see... I don't see how it works. I mean, I I got some ideas, but I don't see how it works. But guess what? We know it's on the box. We know where it's going. Jesus stirs around in our hearts. So, Jesus, who he is, he's the son of God, he's Messiah, he brings a sword among people in suffering, in our hearts. 
What do we do with it? What's the point of the sword? Well, I don't know about you, but in general, I'm against swords being stuck into me. This kind of a guiding principle of my life. Sharp objects into my skin. Try to stay away from that. Any of you with me on that one? There's one exception. I don't use this illustration lightly. But if you've got a tumor, you might need somebody to bring a sword. You might need somebody to cut you open and make you bleed so you can be healed. And biblically speaking, our selfish pride that runs against God, that doubts God, that demeans God, that turns from Him, that's a spiritual cancer. It's a suicide on the inside that kills us. And we're supposed to see here, Jesus brings a sword, but when you're His, when you trust Him, that sword is in the hand of the surgeon. It's in the hand of the surgeon. Anna called Jesus our redemption. He wants to buy you. What did Jesus take so that he could buy you? He took the sword. On the cross, you were bought with blood. So he, he died for your sins to purchase you, that you belong to him. He's bought your righteousness with God, your forgiveness. And he doesn't just want that standing for you, which you have, but he wants all of you, your mind and your heart. He's bought you. He wants you. Redeemed through the sword. Simeon called Jesus light. Light in the Bible is an awful bit like a sword. Look at John 3, 19 to 21. Jesus calls himself the light of the world. Simeon said he's light. John 3, 19. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Their works were evil. That's the problem with light. It exposes. It shows you. Jesus is like that. The scriptures are like that. I can talk myself into thinking I'm a great person until I read what the Bible describes as being a great person and the light shines on me. Oh, I got problems. I got issues. I got brokenness. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so it may be clearly seen as works have been carried out in God. Exposure is painful. It's like a sword. We get cut by who the Lord is and by what his word says. You can either run. I don't want to be in the light. I don't, don't you touch me with your sword. Or we can open the shirt up. We can, we can come to the light and say, show me. Show me my thoughts. Show me my heart. Change me. It's called repentance. It's called repentance. It hurts. You remember the last time you really repented? You saw something dark in what you thought and what you said and what you did towards somebody. Something dark in the way you responded to God or what he had for you. And you said, it's ugly. And you could either wash it, facade it, pretend like, oh, I'm cool, it's fine, excuse it. Or, or finally you got honest and you said, this, this was awful. It's a sword. The light shines. There I am. If you repent, if you go to the surgeon, he cuts, but he cuts to heal. Simeon called Jesus consolation. We sang it in our 
second song, Israel's strength and consolation. Do you know what, do you know what a consolation is? It's a comfort received by a person after loss or disappointment. Let me heal you. Jesus is that consolation. Scholars say Simeon uh, had the book of Isaiah in his mind. He's referring to it a lot. And he's probably referring, when he calls Jesus Israel's consolation, he's probably referring to Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 2. Let's hear these words. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned. She's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Simeon said, hey, look, there's going to be a sword. And he also said, hey, look, this baby, he's the sword, he's also the consolation. He comforts you, he speaks tenderly to you as he cuts. And he says, you're loved. You're loved. I was cut for you. I took the cross for you. You're loved. My friends, don't ever look to your circumstances to try to gauge God's love for you. Ever, never. It'll grow pride because you won the lottery or something. Oh, he loves me today. Stop. Or it'll grow deep despondency. Oh, he doesn't love me today. Things are hard. Come on, don't ever look there. It won't work. Jesus tells you where to look. He came for you. He died for you. He rose for you. That's your consolation. He loves you. He loves you. He says here, comfort to my people. Your warfare is ended. I love you. I'm your consolation. What he's saying is this. When Christmas gives you the sword, if you have Christ, you can remember the sword is in the hands of the surgeon. When Christmas gives you a sword or any other time of life, you can remember, if you have Christ, if you just trust him, the sword is in the hand of the surgeon and his gift at the end. At the end, it'll be your healing. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, that you're honest with us. Thank you that you never promised it would be easy. Thank you that you came to heal. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you took the sword for us. We pray that you'd help us to trust you, that you came for us, you lived for us, you died for us, you rose for us, and the sword is in your hand is for our healing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.